Portions of this podcast may not be suitable for children. It's real-life stories and sometimes PG-13. Death comes equally to all of us and makes us equal when it comes. John Doan. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, portable insight, and engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are combined. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's show is entitled The Other Side and we'll be looking at near-death experiences. This is a subject that has always interested me after nearly losing my life in 2001. You can hear that story on episode eight of the Think Twice TV podcast. Today's episode, we have two really good stories. We have Ed's story, uh, Peace of Mind, Body and Soul, and Debbie's story at Hell's Doorstep. We're gonna get to those in just one second. There's an old movie from 1999 called The Matrix. And in this story, the main character, Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, was beginning to see pieces and clues into another world. Um, At first, he was a skeptic, but then he got to the point where he saw so much evidence and so much proof that he could no longer deny uh, that he was living in a sort of a matrix and that the real reality was outside of what he could see and what he knew to be real. After you know learning so much, he got to a crossroad where the mentor of the film, Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, offers him a choice. He says, there's two pills here. You can take this one and you go back to your regular life and forget about everything. And then the other one would be to delve further into this newfound truth. And of course, the adventure continued and they made you know three movies out of it. And he did want to delve into the truth. And that's kind of how I felt. The more I started to learn about death and life after death and ne- these near-death experiences, I wanted to know more about death and about those who have something to tell us about it. So we're going to get into our first story here. This is Ed's story. He actually saw a glimpse of heaven after nearly dying in a horrible car accident. Let's listen to Ed's story, Peace of Mind, Body, and Soul. I had a good childhood. I was raised on a farm. I was a nice little Catholic boy. I was content and happy. Life was good. Suddenly at the age of 16, things changed and I lost my dad. After that, our family life became complicated and it was out of my control in many ways. My entire world was rocked. I had lost the peace and stability I was used to. The Bible says when a child is raised in the ways of the Lord, he will not depart from those ways. While I did not totally leave the Lord, I did wander off the path. I got lost in my work, finding it exciting and rewarding. I let my hair grow long and had my share of fast cars, smoking, drinking, and sex. These things provided some enjoyment, but no lasting peace. I would occasionally watch church on TV or visit church once in a while, and it seemed to keep me in connection with God, but never produced a true relationship or real peace. During this time, God had me on his mind even though I was neglecting him. Then something happened that shook me to wake me up. While a passenger on a road trip, our car slid on ice and hit a pole. Shattered glass filled my eyes, blinding me. In the operating room, they told me to count backwards from 100, 99, 
98. I was out. Relief at last. But peace was not yet to come. I can't fully explain what happened next. Suddenly, I was standing before Jesus as he warmly and joyfully welcomed me. But then he told me I couldn't stay, that I had to go back and start over. I said, no, why? I love you. I don't understand. I try to be good. Look at my friends. I did not do all the bad stuff they did, just some of it. He said, that is true. You didn't do some of those things, but it wasn't because you loved me. You only wanted to stay out of trouble and avoid earthly consequences. At these words, I felt an emptiness and rejection that was indescribably painful. I felt farther away from peace than I'd ever felt before. I understood this agony of separation from Jesus was a lesson, a warning, a taste of what eternity would be like without him. I woke up in a hospital bed clutching a borrowed Bible. After a time spent healing, my left eye was okay, but my right eye had 20-80 vision. But every time that I couldn't see well to shoot, hunt, work on a car, or any other close-up work, I thank God that he turned this tragedy into a way of drawing me closer to him. Just like back on the farm, sometimes a mule had to be hit with a 2x4 to get its attention. In my case, I just had to get hit with a pole. Thinking I was permanently blind definitely got my attention. I never strayed so far again, but still found no real peace. I eventually got married, joined a nice church, and had children. Our church offered Bible studies, and we often attended church dinners and other social events. I love my church family, and I still keep in touch with many of them. I found love, but not the peace I desperately longed for. Then a group of evangelists visited our church to lead a revival service. I saw fire in their eyes and love and peace in their spirit. I told them, I want what you've got. As I became more involved in a church, I also discovered things the opposite of peace and love, including cliques, rejection, conditional love, and friendship. Some people were even mean to my family. I eventually came to realize that sitting in a church doesn't make someone a loving Christian any more than sitting in McDonald's makes you a burger. I would think, God, this is not right. Do you not hear my prayers? Where is your justice? Where is your peace? Why doesn't it come to me? Please, just touch me. God not only heard me, but reached down from heaven and touched me. A pastor we knew saw a gift in us and invited us to a special service. We were used to quiet, formal, and reserved meetings, but this one was not the case. They clapped the loud music and raised their hands, giving God worship and praise. The pastor called it a Holy Ghost meeting. This was very new to us and kind of unsettling. During the service, the pastor suggested raising our hands if we wanted a closer, personal relationship with God. I was hungry for more of the Lord, so I did. As I stood there, eyes closed, clutching the pew in front of me, I prayed, this religion thing ain't cutting it. I give up. I'm empty. This is it. If you don't touch me now, I'm going to quit. I've desperately sought you. Now, please find me. About this time, I felt the preacher's hand on my arm. He said, I see an empty vessel. It's a good vessel, but it's just empty and dusty. It's been a long, dry spell. And so what we're going to do is take the top off this vessel and let the Holy Spirit fill it up. He put his hand on my head and I fell to the floor like a ton of bricks, but it was a good thing. I felt love, rest, and God's overwhelming peace. As I lay there, I felt the Lord's cleansing creating a brand new me. I laid on the floor pretty much the rest of the entire service. 
My wife couldn't believe it. This was really different for both of us. However, later, things like this became more common as we progressed in our spiritual growth. God answered my heartfelt prayer and continued putting mighty men and women of God in our path. One of our friends says, if you want to get hit by a train, then you have to play on the tracks. And he's right. If you want to have a close relationship with Christ, and if you want to be filled with the peace of his love and the fire of the Holy Spirit, you must seek him. Play on the tracks, in other words. Go where he is. Seek the fellowship of Christians and find a church with true Christian brothers and sisters. You will know them by their love, his love, his peace. They will not be more concerned with church doctrine and the traditions of man than the word of God. We now understand his power and authority. This is a far cry from our lives a few years ago. Instead of longing for peace, I know where to find it. On the floor, surrendered to him. When I worship, I find peace. When I pray, I find peace. When I help others in his love, I find peace. I finally have peace, his peace, and so can you. John 14, 27. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. In episode 17, we presented my father's story, the Reverend Rudy Henderson. Uh, He was my mentor in media and in life and in faith. He died of cancer, and throughout his battle, he, he showed me a lot about his faith and a lot about his true character. He was confident that where he was going was better than here. Our faith as Christians is founded on what the Bible says. And the Bible does teach quite a bit about the afterlife, a place of safety and security and love called heaven. Also about you know many things that we don't want to think about, a place of outer darkness and eternal torment, the essence of the absence of God. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is John 14, 6. It's a cornerstone of the Christian faith and that we do believe that Jesus Christ is the door to lead to eternal life. Our next story is from Debbie. Debbie's experience was in an opposite direction where she had a glimpse of eternal punishment and eternal hell slipping away into a deep, dark cavern where nothing existed except evil, torment, and fear. Let's listen to Debbie's story at Hell's Doorstep. I grew up in a house, not a home. Maybe you grew up in a house too, something like mine. A house is where four walls surround you. Inside those four walls is constant conflict and hurt. There's no love, no hugs, very few kind words. A home has kind, gentle, warm words of love. A hug now and then, laughter, security, warmth in relationships. I wish I would have had a home like that to grow up in, but it wasn't to be. Nevertheless, I am thankful that I had a house to grow up in. Some hardly even have that. Years passed and I managed to graduate from high school and then started attending college. I felt like I had a vacuum inside me. I wanted someone to love and someone who would love me. I was young and vulnerable. For some reason, I was attracted to men who abused me. All I had known was abuse growing up and I didn't feel I deserved any better. It's a total and complete lie. I know it now. I just didn't know it then. I became pregnant and was counseled to have an abortion. I knew it was wrong, but the pressure to go through with it was more than I could stand up to. I was taken to an abortion clinic by my soon-to-be husband in Detroit, Michigan. There were a number of women there waiting to have an abortion as well. 
and they acted as if it's an everyday thing. I guess to them, it was. I felt so alone and was really afraid. I felt like I was on a cold, heartless assembly line. I did not want to kill my baby inside me. I was so confused in my thinking, I didn't know what I should do. When it was my turn, the nurse took me to a changing room. I changed into a gown. As I stood there, my heart was racing. I peeked down the hall, snuck out and tried to run away. One of the nurses caught me and took me back, saying, I don't think you should do that. You see, the money was already paid, and I sadly went through with it. All the while, I was asking Jesus to forgive me. I always felt so guilty for a lot of years until someone told me, you only need to ask forgiveness once. Jesus forgets, and the sin is no more. It even explains it in the Bible. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah 31:34. I ended up marrying the guy who got me pregnant, even though I didn't love him. I really didn't have anyone else to turn to. He went into the Air Force and suddenly I became a military wife. His neglect and abuse of me grew worse. He got an assignment in Greece and we spent two years there. He grew into a hardened military policeman. I suffered with verbal and physical abuse. When his two-year tour was finished in Greece, he got reassigned to the United States. Then I got pregnant. I had a little girl named Rachel. She was so special to me. Then a boy came along. We named him Philip. By the time Philip came along, the pain in the marriage was nearly at the breaking point. My husband had an affair. But because I simply refused to believe divorce was an option, I stayed with him. Then he had another affair, and this time he wanted a divorce from me. I refused, but he filed for one anyway, and it went through. He left me and our two children for a while, but then he came back with what appeared to be some compassionate concern and suggested he take the two children for a month so I could have a rest. I thought it was a good idea, but the moment I stepped off that military base, he got papers filed that I had abandoned my children. They were taken away from me. Like so many times before, I asked, why God, why? What have I done so bad to be treated like this? Then, in the confusion and hurt, I began to grow bitter at the Lord. I knew it was wrong, but I just couldn't help it. I felt so lost and forgotten. I met some girls and entered the party scene, heavy drinking and one-night stands. I didn't care about my life. My ex-husband said I was dirt and subconsciously I thought I was. My friend and I partied almost every night and all weekend. I drank a lot because I didn't care about my life at this point. No matter how much I sinned against God, the next day when I sobered up, I would ask Jesus to forgive me. I would tell him I was sorry for acting the terrible way I had acted the night before and that I loved him. I would tell him that I feel like a piece of a puzzle that didn't belong anywhere. Where do I belong, Jesus? I would ask him over and over. I took a job at a bar and began to really harden my heart. I cursed people out and didn't care. I hurt people and didn't care. I used men and found pleasure in it. I liked the power in it. I had been going with my friends to a palm reader. The palm reader kept telling me things that were going to happen in my life and I would believe her. I didn't care about the warnings the Bible gives about doing such things. I was blinded to the fact that this is a gateway to the demonic realm. I was really tired one night from work and went to bed early. Around 3 a.m. in the morning, I suddenly woke up out of a hot sweat. At the foot of my bed stood two figures. I rubbed my eyes, saying to myself, Who is it? Who's there? 
One figure was all dressed in black with a hood over his head. The other figure was all dressed in white. They were standing quite far apart. The figure in black kept shaking his head back and forth as if to gesture that I was a lost cause. The figure in white was waving to me and gently smiling at me. I kept rubbing up my eyes because I wasn't really certain this was actually happening or I was having some kind of delusion. Then in an instant they were both disappeared. Later I dismissed the whole thing, though it left me with a very eerie feeling. I kept on living the same rebellious lifestyle after that. I didn't heed the warning. My friend and I were both drinking rum and coke, our usual thing. I remember putting on my seatbelt and we pulled out onto the highway. At the first stoplight, it turned red and I stopped. We were listening to music and when the light turned green, I started forward. Then out of nowhere, a car was coming at us at high speed, running the light. I remember my friend yelling, oh my God, just before the car hit us. At that moment, I left my body. I started going down this long, dark tunnel. It was dark, so dark that you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Instantly, I knew I was dead and that I was going to hell. I yelled, I don't want to go yet. I don't want to go yet. I'm falling farther and farther away from the little light at the top of the tunnel above me. Out of the darkness, these things began grabbing at me. Long fingernails began to grasp me and claw at me, trying to pull me into them. I kept screaming, no, I don't want to go yet. Their grotesque mouths were open wide and their teeth were gnashing at me. Strangely, there was no sound coming from them, though. Then I began pleading with Jesus, Jesus, no, don't let me go to hell. I'll do right. Please give me another chance. I'll do right. I begged and pleaded with him. Suddenly, my body stopped and there was a flash of light. It was like I was suspended in midair. Then I felt the impression of strong hands holding me up. Then the hands pushed me. So fast, I saw myself going back toward the light at the top of the tunnel. The next thing I remember is that I woke up in the hospital, but not in textbook fashion. At first, my eyes were closed, and then I opened them, looking around to see where I was. I was confused. I couldn't figure out exactly where I was. In my confusion, I then heard a policeman say, Oh, we lost this one. Do you have her name? Anything on her? Then I opened my eyes wider and said, No, you didn't lose me. He jumped back, scared out of his mind. The nurses and doctors came running, and the place was mass pandemonium. There was blood coming from everywhere. They were pulling glass out of my body. There was a big piece above my eye. All I could do was lay there and sob, thanking Jesus for saving me from that dark pit I was in. He saved me from being taken to hell. After my horrible accident, I slowly gave up the party scene. My friends asked me why I was acting differently and why I didn't want to party anymore. I told them, God gave me a second chance at life and I didn't want to risk throwing it away anymore. I eventually moved back and got back into church. I needed to start living by the principles of the Bible. Listen, you do not want to go where I was headed. You may not get a second chance that I got. You really better get right with the Lord because the next intersection may be your eternity. If my only purpose to get a second chance at living was to tell you this and keep you from going to hell, then bless God and thank Him. Get your life right with God. That is all I have to say. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He is near. Let the wicked change their ways and throw out the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to God, for he will forgive generously.
There's another quote that I found. It's from a famous author called Anonymous. <laughs> Many who plan to seek God at the 11th hour die at 10.30. Just like in that example from The Matrix, we have a choice to ignore what we've learned or to delve deeper and to seek God and to ask Him to reveal the truth. Another quote that I found from someone who had a near-death experience was that they said, Many of the things that humans care about in this life are completely irrelevant in the next. You know, there's many comparisons that Jesus Christ is the bridge to eternal life, and we do believe that. He is the guide. He is the way. He is the one that can lead us to the truth. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast, thinktwicetv.com. Clear thoughts produce clear results. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. It's time for the absolute basics of the Christian faith from seedbed.com. Answering those burning questions like who is God, what is salvation, and many more. So, let's take a bite. The absolute basics of the Christian faith. What did God make? Imagine on your 16th birthday you look outside and see a new car. It's just the one you've always dreamed of. Now imagine that your parents say to you, but first, before you take it out, you need to learn how to drive it. But instead of saying thanks, you run out and hop in and turn the key and drive off. But you don't know where the brake is, and so the first thing that happens is you get into a pileup and wreck the car. That would be about the most ungrateful thing you could do. Taking the gift from your parents but not bothering to obey them, or even learning how to use the gift the right way. Well, that's a lot like what happened when God gave us the gift of life. We took the gift, but didn't take the conditions that went with the gift, and the result was ruin. Genesis 1-3 through paints a picture of a God who gives extravagantly. He makes the entire world and places humans in it to be his representatives. It's a world filled to overflowing with beautiful things, animals and rivers and trees. In the story, humans are given every kind of tree to eat from. Only one single thing is forbidden, to eat from one specific tree, and that's the one we ate from. This is like going to Disney World and being told that every ride is working and ready for us, but one ride is dangerous and in need of repairs, and then going straight to that one dangerous ride and forcing our way onto it. G.K. Chesterton, a British journalist who lived at the turn of the 20th century, wrote about the way that sometimes very good gifts have conditions that go with them. He used the example of fairy stories to communicate this. In fairy tales, very often something wonderful, unexpected, and magical happens. But there is a rule that comes with the spell, a requirement that comes with the enchantment. Chesterton gives the example of Cinderella. Against all odds, Cinderella is allowed to go to the ball in high style because her fairy godmother suddenly appears and does some fine magic to give Cinderella a dress, glass slippers, and a carriage. But there's a catch. Cinderella must be back by midnight. As Chesterton points out, it would show a certain ingratitude for Cinderella to complain about the necessity of the rule, given how unnecessary was the gift. He writes, If Cinderella says, How is it that I must leave the ball at twelve? Her fairy godmother might answer, How is it that you are going there till twelve? If some extravagant gift comes with a small requirement, perhaps we would be better meditating on the unexpected pleasure rather than the insignificant prohibition. The same goes for Adam and Eve, and for us as well. Seeing the world and life itself as a gift changes everything. Now there's more to be said about the way the world is a gift, 
Because it's not just that God simply has given us the world once. It's true that God created all things out of nothing by his own free will. But the Bible also says that God sustains all things in being by his powerful word. God creates everything, but also keeps it in being by his will. This means that if God took a nap, forgot about us for a second, the universe would blink out of existence. Here's a way of understanding this. Imagine in your head a kitten. Imagine it moving around and playing with string, eating and sleeping and doing all the things that kittens do. Hold that thought in your head, but also imagine this kitten is a real living kitten. It has desires and feelings. It really exists. But the second you stop imagining it, it will cease to exist. That's a lot of responsibility. We're like this to God. Except God has not forgotten about us. He sustains us all in existence at every moment. We matter so much to him that he is constantly thinking about us. It's not that he gives us the gift of life once. He does so at every moment. And that's something to be truly grateful for. The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith from Seedbed.com You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Many of the stories you've heard today are available in video format at our website, www.thinktwicetv.com. Find original videos, true life stories, and content to help you grow your faith at thinktwicetv.com. It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. The eyes of God are the only eyes that matter. If in God's eyes it's a sin, repent and confess. Thank God if we confess our sins, He is faithful, He's reliable, He's dependable. We can count on Him, and He's just. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. I love that word all. All unrighteousness. To confess means to say the same thing as another. We agree with God about our sin. We see a smidgen of what God sees. How vicious, how wicked, how evil, how awful, how, how disgusting, how dangerous. Sin left unchecked arrives at death. And we see that, and we don't want that in our lives anymore. And we cry to God in repentance. Repentance means to turn around. We're going one way, we turn and go a new way. And we cry out to God and say, oh God, I've sinned, and I'm so sorry, and I want you to cleanse me and forgive me and wash me and help me, Lord, to get this out of my life. And thank God when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he forgives us, he cleanses, he washes, it's gone. Paul said something radical in 1 Corinthians 4. I do not care what you think. It's a small thing whether I'm judged by you or any human court. But then he says, Yea, I judge not my own self. My conscience is clear. But does that make me innocent? It is the Lord who judges me. Paul asks an important question in Galatians 1.10. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. God, with his eyes, sees us to the bottom. He knows everything that's wrong with you, and he's 
willing, he's been willing, he has given his life for you because he values you like that. The next episode of the Think Twice TV podcast is entitled The Prince of Peace. We have two stories. Lori's story, who was a new age believer who lived out in Los Angeles seeking for answers and only was finding pain and distress. We'll also have Darcy's story, Closer to You. She had a very hard upbringing, growing up poor, being abused, um, seeing many horrible things as a child. But one of her Christian friends was different than everyone else she'd ever met. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate this. Would you share this podcast with someone that you know? If you could also stop by our iTunes channel, uh, click on that subscribe button, and then go ahead and write us a review. That just helps us to be more visible, and it gives people an idea of what our podcast is all about. Hey, thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time. This venture is sponsored by Media Messengers Evangelistic Association. Revealing the love and power of God through media www.mediamessengers.org If you like the show, follow us on social media and please help us reach more people. All our social links are in the show notes. While all our stories are true, some of them have been read by voice actors.